Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. We're going to start this week with listener mail and website comments. Several of you wrote in this week taking me to task for not being critical enough of Donald Trump and letting the show drift into too much of a conservative direction. Now, one of the things I've researched over the years is cognitive biases, so I recognize how hard it is for everyone, including me, to see them when they've sort of drifted off course. And so I gave those comments some thought, and, and I've concluded a few things. And if you don't mind, Jay, I'd kind of like to share them with, with – I, I suppose. I, I, I always maybe accuse you of drifting, but uh, – Okay. Yeah. Well, but again, I think it's, I think it's hard. I, I don't think you've drifted in favor of Trump. But no, no, not at all. But yes, but please, go ahead. So, okay, first off. I may not have emphasized some of the things Trump has said because, to me, it feels like covering the same ground again and again and again. And my thinking here is that everyone who's paying attention already knows that he's extraordinarily insensitive, undisciplined, and he lies like hell, more so than any other candidate I've ever seen. But but maybe maybe it's good to keep the focus on this at least a little bit more than I have been, if only to sort of highlight what an outlier Trump is compared to normal presidential candidates. So I guess I'm saying in part, maybe there's something to that criticism. But that being said, I'm not really scared or terrified or whatever clickbaity term many of my fe- fe- fellow liberals are using about the rise of Trump or really even the prospect of his becoming president. Um But at the same time, I think that Donald Trump is absolutely the most woefully unprepared, unqualified in every way, including temperamentally, and vulgar person to ever head a major party ticket. Um, And I try, not always successfully, to resist that tendency to engage in that sort of amateur psychoanalysis at a distance thing that so many people in the media love. I mean, I know Donald Trump is astonishingly crass, and I'm willing to accept that he's a narcissist, at least as I understand the term. But I think calling him a sociopath or even really a racist is going a little bit further than the evidence that I've seen allows me to go. And some people might disagree with that, especially on the issue of racism, and I can understand that. But still, it may sound like there's a disconnect here. I mean, how could I not be freaked out about someone so unprepared and unfit for the biggest job in American politics having still a decent shot at getting that job? And there's a good reason for this, I think. The reason is my faith in the Amer- in American political institutions. I mean, I've been following politics for nearly 30 years and teaching it at the college level for over 20 years now. And one thing I've learned in all that time is how exceptional our system of government is at frustrating the desires of radicals. And, you know, former presidents, when they're asked, regularly say that they vastly overestimated the amount of real power they had. And these former presidents are a lot more experienced in the political system than Donald Trump. And so I think that if Donald Trump wins it in November, and I don't think he will, I strongly suspect he'll be the most frustrated president in history. Um, Now, that said, when it comes to foreign policy, 
presidents have a much freer hand. And I can understand the concerns that people on both the left and the right have raised about some of his proposals, particularly in regards to pulling out of defense pacts and our relationship with Russia. Now, that, that concerns me, too. And finally, I haven't been a very active promoter of Trump's opponent, Hillary Clinton, and that's because I don't particularly trust her. In terms of her policies and her positions, you know, we line up pretty well, but it seems to me that Clinton, more than most politicians, at least at this level, is self-righteous, defensive, and prone to surrounding herself with a sort of a bubble of supporters. So really, I don't feel that she's all that temperamentally fit to be president either. But I agree with her on policy, and she's a whole lot more temperamentally fit than Donald Trump, which is why, in the end, I will be voting for her. So there, there are my thoughts on that. So I guess I wow, An- another another apologetic for Trump there, and um, it sounds like you're pretty much in the tank for the guy. So, uh. right. Well, you know, I just I just felt like I said that it was important to address that, and uh, I, I don't like Trump. I think he's I think he's pretty awful, but I think in the end we're going to be okay. Well, you know, and, and this is this is just kind of my two cents on on what your your two cents were, uh, but. You know, to me, so much of what we do on the show, it, it's not a matter of, of we're not arguing for or against a particular candidate or or um, uh, uh, endorsing one one person over another. Uh, you know, the idea is more to get into what's going on. Uh, right. You know, what forces are driving this? Uh, what's what's happening? What's going to happen? And and you know, take a step back from the. Um, whatever our personal feelings might be about, about the candidates. Um, so no, I think that's a great point because it's so, I mean, it's easy to forget that the job of the news media isn't to inform us. It's to, it's to get us to, to watch, to, to listen, to, to click and so forth. And so we kind of marinate in that, in that, in that fear and clickbaity sort of stuff, and it can start to affect us without us really realizing, which is why I think that so much of the, uh, of the, the you know terror or the you know the fear is kind of overblown. I mean, if I see another headline from Ezra Klein about how he's more afraid than he's ever been in his life or something like that, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do injury to myself by poor, rolling my poor eyes. Ezra. Yeah, yeah, um. exactly. So I think a lot of that is just the media being you know being the media. But that being said, I think Donald Trump is absolutely you know a, a pretty horrible uh, presidential candidate. So speaking of Donald Trump. Uh, pretty rough week for him. I mean, let's see, we've got the con controversy, right? The continuing fallout right. from his attacking a gold star mother. Right. Uh, his remark that the presidential election might be rigged. Right. Uh, his initial refusal to endorse Republicans Paul Ryan, John McCain, and Kelly Ayo, though he did end up endorsing them later on in the week. Uh, his repeated assertions that he saw a video of that plane that delivered $400 million uh, U.S. equivalent to Iran, and we'll talk more about that story later. Though then he stunningly, uh, to me, admitted later in the week he was wrong about that. Right. And then finally, there's that sizable lead that Hillary Clinton has opened up in the polls. Uh, I think that just about covers it. Oh, there was something. There was something else. Um, well, there is escaping me now. Um. Well, well, you know, there was actually one bright spot I should mention for Donald Trump. He's closed the fundraising gap with Hillary Clinton. 
Uh, this week, it was reported that he raised $80 million in July, and that's reasonably close to the $90 million raised by Clinton's camp. And I think this should definitely help him compete in one area he's been almost invisible. That's TV ads. Uh, according to a report by NBC News, Trump has only aired $6 million in ads to this point, compared to $68 million for Clinton. But now, that being said, it's just because Trump has that money, you can't just create an organization. You can't create infrastructure on the fly. And, of course, what one of the things that uh, Hillary Clinton has done with all that money she's had in the bank is she's been able to buy ad time ahead of time and lock in better rates and times and so forth. That's not going to be available to that extent for Donald Trump. So. I've got two words for you, Mike. More hats. More hats, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, I think that's, well, you know, uh, and, well, it's interesting because that's a good point because to this point, the, the small amount of money that Donald Trump had raised had been in large part based on hat sales and so forth. And what's interesting about his fundraising now is that a lot of it comes from those small dollar donors. I mean, the average donation amount to Trump, I believe, was somewhere around 50 bucks. One he of the is, he has still not been able to tap the major Republican donors. Yeah, and, and there's there's a plus and a minus to that. The minus is obviously it's a lot easier to raise money if you can do it in chunks of thousands as opposed to, you know, fifty dollars a piece. But the positive yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the positive is that if somebody, you know, if a if a millionaire billionaire gives the maximum, they're done. They can't give any more directly to the campaign. But if someone gives twenty, thirty, forty dollars, they can still give again and again. So Trump can go back and try to tap those people again. Though I don't know the extent how, how does that to do that. I'm, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with your your political analysis. I'm disagreeing with your mathematical analysis. <laughs> isn't that the same? And isn't it better to have have a million bucks up front than to keep going back to somebody for twenty bucks until you get a million? Well, yeah. And the, well, the idea here or, is it wouldn't it wouldn't be a million again. Uh, you know, there there were the limitations and the numbers escape me right now. But yeah, they would be be in the couple thousands right. uh, that, that a millionaire could max out on on a, on direct contributions as opposed to contributions to a to a pack but well and the idea is that but, it, my, but my my point is it's always better to have more money now uh than than not sure and i think the point that that folks who look at this make is that is that uh, when you uh, when you raise a lot of your money from small dollar donations that suggest that you might be able to keep that up more so than somebody who raised most of their money from big money donors who might have just given up front and then that's it for them. Does that make sense to yeah. you? Yeah, no, no. But but in Bergen Norgas, I mean I get I get the sense is that there's there's a, a broader reach and more connection with voters and so forth yeah. if you're raising money from yeah. small amounts. But but in a presidential election uh, it, it comes down to you. You have to have those big donors. You have to have that that real big money. Sure, and no, no one is ever. And he just doesn't. No, no, he doesn't. Certainly, and there's really no. I don't think there's any great prospect of him getting it. So, speaking of that, I mean, you know, we I mentioned the polls briefly. There are a lot of talks about. There's been a lot of talk this week about the Trump campaign imploding and and talk about Wilkie drop out of the election and so forth. Um, uh, and whether an intervention that, uh, is and, warranted or planned. Yeah. So, what do you make of all that? I I think this is in. Um, Peggy Noonan. I don't. I don't think you're a Peggy Noonan fan. Oh God, um, no! God, no! Well, you you might be if if you read what she wrote uh, last week's Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, this is her her sense was, and I share it. Uh, this is the week that that Republicans realized that 
yes, he's he's just crazy. Um, and and this is you know because here's here's the thing: two weeks ago, three weeks ago, after the Mike Pence pick, uh, there was a sense of oh, okay. Um, and then I'm talking a sense amongst a lot of Republicans, a lot of conservatives of maybe he's he's not that out there. Maybe this this has been just as as I posited at one point the Andy Kaufman sort of thing. It's it's all an act. Um, and he's, he's, uh, really, uh, going to hire these, you know, sort of stable, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Pence, like, uh, people and he'd surround himself with, with smart uh, experts and he would take their advice. And there was a, a sort of a campaign bounce, although I, I, I attribute less to a, a Trump bounce and more of a, a Clinton fall because of the, the FBI report that happened about the same time, uh, that, that look like, hey, he's evening up. And there was really a sense of, okay, if Trump just does nothing crazy uh, or, or can, can, can just di- diminish the crazy a little bit, uh, he's got a shot at this. And, and the Mike Pence pick and his um, uh, convention speech, which was by Trump standards, uh, really pretty tame, uh, pretty within, within, the, within the lines. And again, I, I qualify that by saying within Trump standards. If you compare it to any other uh, – Normal nomination address it's 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 complete outlier but as you said we've there's sort of like the new normal here um but but there was the sense that okay um uh, this this might not be this might not be horrible uh and then the the con thing comes up and and I, again it's i mean i think for anyone even if you're not if even if you don't have a political bone in your body um how does how does anyone say, yeah, the best thing for me to do is to go after uh, <laughs> this guy who, who lost his, his son? Um, it's it's just mind boggling. You know, I, and, then, and then I mean, if you're, if you're, I guess let me just put it this way. If the, the first thing you would do, my first instinct, if I were advising Trump and this con thing comes up, is that you say nothing about it. You just focus on Hillary Clinton and focus on your campaign. And it's it just kind of gets. You know, it's just part of the the uh, convention wash that that goes through there. Um, second, if you are going to say something about it, it would have been a fantastic chance for Donald Trump to say something like, "Well, you know what? I I uh, I honor uh, 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 Mr. Khan's service, and 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 this is what I'm talking about when um, you know I'm not I'm not concerned about." Uh, Muslims who are, are loyal Americans and, and are giving their lives for their country. These are people who we ought to salute. What I'm concerned about is Muslims coming in who we don't know about coming in from Syria, a war zone that we haven't vetted. Uh, and I think that's you know the kind of people who are involved in these you know killings to start with. Uh, that's who we need to vet. And and he really could have could have qualified and drawn a line and said, uh, listen, my issue is a national security one. It is not a uh, religious test. It is not a a, a racial test or, or something like that. Um, and he sort of tried but, to do that after the fact, but it was a bit too late at that point. But but he keeps going after the, the con guy personally, and, right? Because and again, again, sure. it's it's just mind boggling. It's just his nature. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're and, saying, and, and I, that's I sort think... of what, what what Peggy Noonan was was saying is, look, we we thought that again after the Mike Pence pick after. Uh, you know, a relatively quiet week that, that again, maybe the strategy is just don't be crazy. Um, and then the stuff with the, oh, I saw the video. Um, 
and and we'll talk about the the impact of this later, but you know, look, the story is out there. Just run with the story. You don't have to add the and I saw the video when you didn't. I mean, <laughs> and, and and to make that up is just uh, again bizarre. Uh, well, the conventional wisdom is that undisciplined candidates lose elections. And yeah. Donald Trump well, has is, gotten – this is beyond undisciplined. Though. Yeah. This well, is, I mean this is very yeah. undisciplined. Yeah. I mean there's no message control. There's no coordination. He just kind of goes out there and, and tweets and says what he wants. There's a reason why politicians seem so very scripted because they don't want to do exactly the sort of things that Donald Trump does. Uh, and, you know, it, it, Donald Trump's uh, – his strategy has carried him to this point, but I think it's a, a case of this point and no further. That being said – I think he's going to rebound somewhat. I mean, I think he's sort of he, – he can read the polls too. Well, he's it's, a long, it's a long way exactly. to November. So but, I yeah. don't think he's totally doomed. I think he's going to get he'll, over 200 he'll, electoral votes. He'll rebound votes. and then he'll do something else goofy. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's not, it's not the, the end of the world for Donald Trump, though certainly this is, this is not good. The poll numbers will start to look a little bit better for him, I suspect. But, but I, I, I still don't think that there's uh, – uh, I still think that the, the odds strongly favor Hillary Clinton at this point. So, Right. No, and I, I might even go as far – Maybe I should go as far as say it. Should I put up put put down a marker now? Put down a marker now. Sure, put go down ahead. A marker and I, I again, be bold. I, I've been wrong on so much so often throughout this campaign cycle, um, but I think this we might look back and say what last week was the week we reached peak Trump. Oh, it, it could happen. It hasn't happened yeah. yet, but yes, uh, uh, if, if I certainly hope so. So um, you know, though a really bad week for Donald Trump, right? Meant a very good week for Hillary Clinton because in addition to Clinton benefiting from all those miscues from Trump, she got some big name endorsements like Warren Buffett, who's way richer richer than Trump, uh, billionaire Republican fundraiser Meg Whitman, and maybe most importantly, 33-year CIA veteran and former acting director of the agency, Michael Morell, who called Trump a threat to our national security and an unwitting agent of the Russian Federation. Uh, So what do you think about those endorsements, Jay? Well, I mean, it's it's kind of what you'd expect. Uh, but that's strong uh, stuff, especially from Morell. Well, Mor- Morell has a little trouble. An unwitting agent. Um, that's 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 strong. That's kind of strong language. Yeah, I, I would hope that there ought to be something to, to back that up. I don't know. Well, his point, I think his point in making that was that uh, Vladimir Putin is a trained intelligence operative. He knows how to work with people's weaknesses. And so... Right. And Trump is a, a, a train wreck waiting a, to happen exactly. from an intelligence standpoint. Exactly. Um, although, although, again, it rings a little hollow when you say unwinning agent and then you've got Hillary Clinton in the emails and so forth. But, uh, you know, I'm... I'm I, I, the point the point is taken, and I think there will be a lot more of of these type of uh, endorsements of Hillary Clinton or non endorsements by Republicans. Um, uh, I think uh, Charles Koch uh, made a pretty pretty clear statement a week or so ago. I mean, there were there were there was a discussion about the, would the Koch brothers support Hillary, and he made clear that no, they would not support Hillary, but but neither are they, are they supporting Trump. So what does that mean for them? Do you think they're just not going to vote for president? Or well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they're going to vote. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, but certainly to the extent they're giving money, it's it's going to Senate races, right? Uh, and and not to uh, Trump. And I think that's that's going to be what you're seeing throughout yeah. most of the Republican fundraising structure is is the 
you know, look, Trump's on his own. We're going to try to support these these various Senate races. Yeah, and, and there's some there's some polling actually that shows that uh, Trump may actually be uh, starting to cause a drag on some of those down ticket races. And so that's a that's been a big concern, potential concern for the for the Republican Party from the from the beginning, at least from the point where it seemed like he would be the nominee. And now yeah. those those fears seem to be coming. Uh, uh, you know, a little more, a little more real. And so that well, this, this is going to sound weird coming from me, but it, it's almost like a, uh, it almost makes me feel a little bit, bit better. I mean, just in, in terms of, because it, it looks like the, the world is sort of acting as I, as I would expect it to act. Does how, that make sense? How so? Well, I mean, as we, we've talked throughout this, I mean, you know, one of the, the things we usually say is the conventional wisdom is is the conventional wisdom because it's usually right. Um, right. And 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 you and I and most everybody else uh, who follows these things has been just spectacularly wrong uh, on, on Trump. And there are all these factors that we've we've talked about that we've said we're, are going to play in and, you know, about money, about organization, about, uh, uh, you know, message discipline, all this sort of thing that you, you say at, at some point um, – is going to kick in and it just hasn't. And and now it looks like, well, maybe, maybe it's starting to. Uh, so I, I mean, there's a little bit of, I guess, sort of the world sort of makes sense again, whether, whether I like, you know, and again, I'm, I'm, as I've, we've talked about, I'm certainly not a, a Trump fan uh, personally. Um, but I mean, it's, it's stuff. The world is working as I, as I would have expected. Right. I see expected what you're saying. And that's sort of it. Yes. Uh, there's, Relief, there, I guess. There are signs that sanity might actually kind of prevail in logic and reason and so forth, and that's always encouraging, though I, as, as I grow increasingly skeptical of that happening as the years pass, but I hope you're right, certainly. So, um, you know, uh, before we kind of move on to the next thing, I, we should take a minute to thank uh, – we have a new supporter this week. Michael from Auckland, New Zealand, who made a very generous contribution to the show. So Awesome. Thank yeah, you, Michael. Thank you very much, uh, Michael. We have actually a lot of listeners from New Zealand, and hi to everyone uh, down there. So, uh, Also, thanks every, to everyone who responded to my call last week for iTunes reviews and ratings. You guys helped out a lot. And uh, if you haven't left an iTunes review or a rating yet, we'd certainly appreciate one. And, of course, if you're interested in uh, helping us keep the show going, you can do what Michael did this last week and go to politicsguys.com and Click on either our PayPal or Patreon donation links we've got up there. All right, so even more good news for Hillary Clinton was the July jobs report released by the Labor Department on Friday. The economy added 255,000 jobs. Wage growth, wage growth, no, wage growth. There's, there's, Roger the, there's the Clinton um, yeah, uh, <laughs> Freudian slip. Right, yes. rage, wage rage. Growth, I can speak, is up 2.6% wow. over the last year. That's the highest level it's been at since 2009. Unemployment is a very low 4.9%, and even the labor force participation rate has ticked up a bit. And, uh, you know, there was also a big drop in unemployment for the least educated workers, and they're often seen as making up an important part of Donald Trump's coalition. So any way you look at it, this is a report that Democrats will crow about and Republicans will sort of struggle to explain away. You know, and, you know, a lot of political science, most of the political science models say about fundamentals of presidential elections is that the the state of the economy prior to the election is a huge factor. And so yet another thing that suggests that Hillary Clinton is should be feeling, I think, pretty good, actually. And I, was, oh, and I suspect she is, yeah. uh, you know, on the jobs report, uh, uh, 
to me, you know, because again, we've we've had these. We, we get good jobs reports the next month. It's bad, and then it's good the next month. So, I mean, I think you have to look at overall trends. Um, that said, this trend would be in a a upward, slow but upward direction, and and yeah, that that certainly helps uh, helps Hillary. Um, I think I think it does. Oh yeah, you I, know, again, again, we're we're sort of it's still in a weird. Um, yeah, I guess it does. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, there's the the economy's doing better. I mean, the growth isn't uh, the only kind of down, uh, only sort does of it, negative. I say the does, only does it does it. Uh, you know, here's the thing: anytime there's drop growth, though, does that increase the um, oh, what's what's the, uh, the the word I'm looking for the the Bernie word? Um, the Bernie word inequality. Yeah, is there a sense of of the rich are always getting richer? Well, like I said, that, uh, at that point, is there more people say, "Oh, there we go again." Now, as you, as you pointed out, the, this this report points to the lower end of the uh, of the labor force picking up. Um, so, and, and that that's an I think whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you you obviously want good economic news. Though traditionally, that is not a good thing if you're trying to oust the incumbent party. Right. So, all right. Uh, you know, there was a also a semi-major, what I would call a non-story in the news this week. You will disagree with me. We'll talk about that. Oh. Um, but the Wall Street Journal broke the story that the Obama administration had sent a plane filled with the equivalent of $400 million in U.S. dollars and Swiss francs and, and euros to Tehran this January, right at the time Iran agreed to release four Americans they were holding, which on the surface, I grant you, sounds really bad, except – that A, it was announced at that time, and B, this was actually part of a larger nuclear deal deal with Iran. That $400 million was money that Iran gave us back in 1979 for U.S. fighter planes. But, of course, after the Iranian, Iranian Revolution, we weren't going to give them the Ayatollah's government those jets, but we also kept the money they gave us. And with interest, it amounts to around $1.7 billion, which we agreed to pay back as part of the deal. Now – People understandably wondered why we just didn't electronically transfer it. That's because current sanctions prohibit a direct dollar transfer to Iran, and the only way to give them their money back without violating the sanctions was to do it in foreign currencies. So to me, it's a a whole lot – it's a much-do-about-nothing kind of story, and I know you disagree, and tell me why, Jay. Well, this this plane full of money uh, was sent the same day – the hostages were released. Uh, according to one of the hostages, he was told by one of his reigning captors, they were waiting on the tarmac and you can't leave until another plane lands. Um, and my sense is this wasn't just an air traffic control issue, uh, that they're waiting for this, the skies to clear. Um, I mean, how do you, whether, whether you want to say, okay, this was a really good, good way to, um, uh, just transfer the money to get around the sanctions, uh, again, it's, it's mind-boggling to say that this is not ransom paid for hostages. Well, is ransom? And I think that's, I think that's the that's the that's the problem. It, but are, are you suggesting that uh, we shouldn't have given back the money that they gave us, and we didn't give them? I mean, it's money we owed them. We took their money. We didn't give them anything for it, and so they I, took I don't... our host- they they took our pe- people for four hundred forty-four days. Right. Uh, you know, there was there but, was there was that. But that's part of trying to normalize relations is uh, is you, is we you try to work out some of these that, issues. That were 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 uh, 
uh, frozen. But uh, again, so is this kind of the this, two wrongs make a right sort of argument here of foreign policy, or what? What exactly? I don't, uh, I don't understand. Are you saying that we shouldn't have given given them back the money that we took from them? I, no. <laughs> I mean, we sh- here's the thing: we shouldn't we shouldn't have uh, rolled over on this nuclear deal in the first place, uh, and then allowed them to exercise more uh, negotiating power by kidnapping uh, American citizens. Uh, that's that's to me is is, is the problem um, that you know we were dealing with a a country making a a nuclear deal. Uh, which this I agree with Trump on is is terrible. It's not going to constrain them whatsoever, uh, even assuming that they were going to follow it. Uh, and and again, to make sure that they get the deal, we're going to hold hostages. And and they have since taken more hostages. They are, I think, everyone would acknowledge one of the leading state sponsors of terror around the world. Sure. And we've just handed them four hundred million dollars in cash. Uh, and I think you just have to look at the, the, the judgment of, of that. Um, I think it's – again, it goes back to the – to my sense, the Obama administration wants to have this Iranian deal uh, and be able to crow that as a, a foreign policy success. Uh, and keep in mind – remember we talked about this. The Iranians still won't actually sign the deal. Uh Again, I, my my sense is that the Obama administration again is just sort of getting getting owned by uh, uh, by the uh, ayatollahs, and and that's that's a problem. And to to say that this is not ransom, I I, I don't know how else you you characterize that as the you well, know the I, simultaneous paying of money and release of hostages. Sure, I think it's. I mean, I I, I think it's part of a you know the negotiation process. There are all kinds of. And keep in mind when we held the money because. They took hostages before. Sure. So that's – They did and in an attempt to normalize relations. I mean I think that in general, the approach makes a lot of sense. I think if you want to make a a country less dangerous, the thing to do is not to isolate them. The thing to do is to try to bring them into the community of of reasonable, rational uh, countries. And the way to do that is to talk with them, to work out deals. And you know you're absolutely right in in a sense – I think that there are some real issues with the nuclear deal, but that's how that's how these negotiations work. Is nobody gets exactly what they want? You make some compromises, and no, no, but, and there but, are certain but, things that I don't like about that. But that's part of the process to engage with countries that maybe for very good reasons in this case that you haven't engaged with in a long time. So it, as a general approach, I absolutely agree with it. All right, here's here is my two sentence take on it and that is maybe this is one sentence uh if if you if you reward hostage taking if you make hostage taking profitable you will get more hostage taking uh which is what we now have 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 so um they took they took 444 hostages uh that turned out to be uh profitable for them uh they took uh four more uh, that has turned out to be profitable. They've taken another two uh, um, that they're still holding, uh, and we are we are looking on them as our our partners. And I, I think that's that's a real problem. And I, I think, look, let, let's you know, it, you want to negotiate and, and say deal with people on a rational basis and so forth, and welcome them in the community of nations. I think the message you send is 
if you want to be part of the club of community of nations, you don't take hostages. Well, I think it's part this of isn't, this. This isn't we're negotiating a trade deal with, with the Chinese or the Koreans or something like that. Uh, the, 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 basic, uh, the, the basic starting line is you don't kidnap another, another uh, state citizens and hold them hostage. Well, so. I, I might agree with you if it weren't part of the context of a larger deal. So I think it, you know, if that were just that saying, give us our money back and we'll give you these people. But I'm, I think it was a case of, well, if this, if we don't agree to this, we might lose the entire nuclear deal. And that's a much bigger sort of thing. Now, I know you disagree. And so I, I guess I can see your point because you feel that the nuclear deal, just as a general thing, was a, was a bad idea and shouldn't have been made in the first place. And so I think if I, if I had that fundamental belief, I I would agree with you on this, but I don't. Thing, why? Why would you trust some? Why would you trust someone though who you're dealing with in in that way? If, if your your negotiating partner is someone who who essentially says, "Sure, uh, we're going to," you know, look, say say you're you're negotiating. You know, you go to the um, uh, the auto dealer the dealership and you're going to buy a new car. Uh, you take your old car in, and and uh, uh, they they sort of drive off with it, and you say, "Well, I've got my trade in." Like, oh, no, we've already got that. Uh, if you <laughs> if you buy a new car, then maybe we'll consider uh, either giving you a value for your trade in or giving you your old car back. Uh, is that is that the type of person you want to deal with? Is that the type of, of person you think would would stick to whatever deal you make? Sure. Well, I, I, I get your point. I get your point, and certainly, uh, certainly, we have. Plenty of instances where uh, the the Iranians have have not dealt in good faith and not stuck with deals. But then again, prior to that, there are plenty of instances in, in, in our involvement in Iran and the rest of the Middle East where we colossally did not deal in good faith and did not stick to our ideals and so forth. So, you know, we need to put this in a larger context. And when you're trying to build a relationship of trust, somebody has to take the first step. And I think I think, we you know, if we wait for yeah, Iran, to I, do that, yeah, I don't think I, with the Iranian. I don't think it's an issue of building a relationship of trust uh, because if, if you're if you're going to trust them, I, I, I think that's that's just a very bad way to go. Um, it's a, it's an issue of uh, in what ways can we constrain them? See, I um, think as long as you have that, if I think as long as you have that viewpoint, you're never going to get anywhere. And I know, but I, okay. I, I do their, disagree. Their, but... their viewpoint is their viewpoint is they we are the great Satan. I don't think so. I think that's a viewpoint yeah, of no. So. Okay, well, here's so. why if, I think if you're you wrong. Watch some of the stuff. Yeah, I, exactly. And the, just the but, American, yeah, the American flag concession in uh, Tehran with the, the sort of pre-soaked in kerosene American flag concession is is really alive and well. Well, uh, I think I think that that's overblown. I think that there's a I think that there's a very strong, a very large component of young Iranians who know nothing of the revolution, who are desperate to modernize and so forth. Now they're suppressed a but whole. They're lot. not in charge. Sure, they're not in charge yet. But I think we, you know, to just say that Iranians all hate the United States and the great or, Satan or, and all that, I think there's well, a lot of propaganda there. They're, they're, and their odds, their odds of getting in charge anytime soon are diminished by us giving the Iranian regime four hundred million dollars in cash. Well, I, I disagree with you there, but anyway, okay. Um, we'll wait and see. Yes, we will, we'll wait we will and see. see. Uh, you know, last week we introduced a new segment on the Politics Guys, our non-political thoughts of the week, and uh, I didn't hear any cries of protest, so I, I guess we could say that's a good thing, right? Um, so we'll continue that this week, but. We'll go a little further. We're going to add a new segment this week that we're going to call, at least at this point, Under the Radar, where we talk about an important political story that we feel didn't get the attention it deserved. So for this week, 
Uh, our under-the-radar story is presidential commutations. On Wednesday, President Obama commuted the sentences of 214 people, largely – Yeah, it's, uh, they were largely nonviolent drug offenders and people who were serving times for drug crimes that, had they been committed today, would have resulted in shorter sentences. In that single day, President Obama commuted more sentences than the previous six presidents combined – and his grand total of 562 com- commutations are more than the last nine presidents combined. So that's a lot. What do you, what do you think about that, Jay? What's your initial impression there? Well, if, if uh, I were Trump and I'm running on a law and order campaign, I, I, think, I, make, uh, I think I make some hay out of it. Uh, on the actual substance of it, um, I, I've, I've argued and I think you and I have talked uh, – before I think a lot of our drug laws are misplaced, uh, are are it just just doesn't work. Um, and and I, I commutations of sentences, and I'd had you know you'd have to look at the individual by individual and how much of the sentence is commuted and so forth. Um, in some cases, there are, there are good policy reasons for that to be done. Um, overdoing it, uh, I think, tends to show sort of a little bit of. Uh, executive overreach, you know, when a president uh, is commuting that many sentences at a time, there's the sense that uh, are these sort of weird individual cases where they're extenuating circumstances uh, or is it just the president is sort of making policy by by uh, commutation, which, again, I find troubling. I'm not saying in these particular cases. Which is um, not to say that he doesn't have the authority to do it because Article 2, correct. Section no, 2 of the Constitution, he's got, yeah. He's got the – Got the authority, um, uh, to, well, to 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 some extent. I, I think I it's it's one of the. If you were to run into a situation where you have mass commutations uh, that are 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 sort of in uh, in contradiction to uh, you know federal criminal laws, uh, again, that is sort of almost like a. Um, well, I don't think know, so. Late I mean, in the game, jury nullification. I, I think there might be a. Uh, the, the, well, this was sort of this – goes back to the same uh, with the immigration, the prosecutor, prosecutorial discretion. Certainly there's prosecutorial discretion to prosecute any one or individual uh, uh, crime and say, no, I'm not going to do that. No, but but when, when you say take a whole class of, of – uh, our whole law and say I'm just not going to enforce it. That's that's something different. Well, see, I, I would I see so your I, point I, again. This is a hypothetical because I'm not saying that's what Obama did. I'm saying if if he were to do something like that, I think. There might be a question of the authority. I, I disagree because I, I agree with you on the uh, executive overreach in terms of the immigration policy, even though I supported what President Obama was trying to do, that whole idea of discretion. There's nothing about uh, uh, discretion specifically in the Constitution there. But when we're talking about power to pardon or commute sentences, that's pretty clear. And it doesn't say, well, you can only do it for a few hundred or a few thousand people. It only says the only limit it puts on it is that you're not allowed. he's not allowed to do it in cases of impeachment. So. So under the Constitution, according to a totally textual reading of the Constitution, a straight-ahead reading, he could he could commute 10,000 sentences, and he would be absolutely within his authority. Now, what he wouldn't be doing is he would – well, he would be breaking with precedent, certainly. But, you know, just like how, you know, President Roosevelt, when he ran for his third term, was breaking with precedent, certainly, but there was nothing in the Constitution that said he couldn't do it. So I think that would be right. perfectly okay. And, and I should point out on, the, on this he issue – he, uh, he could only commute federal sentences, too. Right. And so I should point out on this issue, there's actually – it's an interest. one of those interesting issues 
we've talked about this before, there's actually a certain amount of bipartisan agreement on it. I mean, on the left, certainly there's a lot of feeling that uh, drug sentencing is is biased and racist and, you know, so forth. And we can, you know, disagree about that. But certainly disproportionately minorities are affected by this. But on the right, the argument is that, you know, this is an example of a hugely expensive big government program that's not working at all. So, you know, exactly. And that's that would be my position. Yeah. yeah. So this is one of these one of these few issues that you can actually envision something happening on in the not too distant future, I would think. Certainly under a Clinton presidency, I could sort of see that happening. And, and I certainly would, would love to see that kind of thing happen. Well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Um, All right. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I'll say that's that's it. I, I you know. Okay. We'll leave uh, that we'll leave that one for another day. All right. All right. Uh so finally, uh our non-political thoughts of the week. My my non-political thought of the week has to do with my trip to the movies. Uh wow, how would you go see? Well, I I saw Star Trek Beyond. Uh Okay. I got a couple things occurred to me. And you're you're a long-time Star Trek fan. Oh, yeah, certainly. So for yeah. Way back. Well, I went to I went to my local Cinemark Theater. Uh, this isn't actually a plug. They have a thing, you might not have heard of it, called Luxury Loungers. Yeah, we got those here. Okay, yeah. They're, they're, I mean, it's a pretty new thing. They only have them, I think, in, uh, I looked it up, something like four of Cinemark's 29 Ohio theaters. Well, it's weird because you have to reserve your seat, which is an odd right. thing for a movie. But Actually, I think, actually, I really like that, though. Oh, oh God. Oh, go ahead. I, I, I say, I, the experience was... I really hated it. Uh, there are these big, well, recliners, basically, big padded recliners. And I just felt essentially swallowed up by this enormous seat that I was, I don't know, I just, I felt almost kind of like some sort of infant or something like that, trying to be, I don't know, covered up in this. And it just felt, it felt somehow wrong. I missed the old kind of, of slightly less comfortable seats. Uh, wow, just, there's, there's, the, there's the liberalism coming through, huh? How so? Well, sort of the, you know, I'm, you're, 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 you're upset over, over comfort, uh, that, you know, uh, I, I am concerned that you might be too comfort comfortable and perhaps others might be too comfortable too. But, well, it uh, just seems to me one of these, one of these, uh, additional indicators that we're kind of headed on this sort of brave new world sort of, uh, uh trajectory in this country, which <laughs> by the way, soft with our big cushy. Well, yeah, this, this will be my, I felt it did feel very decadent. Uh, that would be my sort of like, recommendation for this week, folks. If you have not read brave new world by Huxley, you should absolutely do that because boy, I think it's so much more of an accurate sort of dystopia than something that's like in 1984, which by oral, which a lot of people talk about, but just sitting in this or being enveloped in this cushy, kind of envelope of recliner-ness with just stuff happening around me, frenetic activity and just brainless. It just, it felt, it felt like I, I didn't know the America I was in anymore. And maybe it's just because I'm getting old. I don't know. But one other point along those lines, should a starship captain really be 29, 30 years old? I think not. I think not. You know, you take a look at Captain Picard, Captain Archer, Captain Janeway, Captain Sisko. Yes, I am a huge kind of geek when it comes to these things. These people were all in their 40s when they were starship captains. I mean, 
what, what did Captain Kirk graduate from the academy when he was twelve or something like that? I just I don't. No, it was buy like it. with the the first the first of the reboot movies, yeah. But I don't buy it. It seems wrong. Maybe I'm just being maybe I'm just being unfairly anti millennial. But I think if you're going to be a starship captain, you should be at least. 40 years old or so. I don't say I have the experience. I would say Shatner did seem to have sort of more gravitas uh, back in the day. And even when he was the young captain, he's, there was still the sense of, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm kind of a Picard fan. Sort of. He's my, he's my sort of ideal of a starship captain. And he was, I think something like 47 or so when he became the captain, if you go by actor ages, that seems about right to me. I'm sort of, a, I guess Picard and Janeway kind of fan to, to kind of throw in a, a nod toward the female starship captains. They were both around that age. And I think that's about right. So anyway, that's kind of my older middle-aged kind of guy complaint <laughs> of the day, I guess. So uh, anyway, uh, all right then, Jay. Do you have a non-political thought of the week? Well, really, no. To to, uh, to it'd be hard to follow that. But uh, just other than to say, uh, Huxley doesn't specifically get into movie theater seats uh, being too comfortable. Not specifically, no. Or starship captains being too young. No, not at all. Uh, I, I would just comment on that. That uh, uh, look, it's it's just a movie. Enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, okay. I should stop complaining and yelling at those kids to get off my lawn and all that kind of stuff. You might be right there. All right, well, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guys show, which comes out on Wednesdays, we would love to hear from you. Our email, politicsguys at gmail.com. On our Facebook page, where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week and where you can join in, too, is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show, write a quick review. Finally, if you like what we're doing and want us to be able to keep on doing it, a donation of even a few bucks, the price of a Betty Boop PVC iPad Nano, Nano pouch would really help. You'll find donation links on our site, politicsguys.com. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.